Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine you're a policeman in 1987 Singapore. One of your informants comes up to you. He's like, hey, Mr. Policeman, sir. There's this guy. He's been chopped up into a bunch of little pieces and cooked into curry. Would you believe him? Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we're looking at the curry murder. It was 9th December 1987. An unnamed informant, he pages a detective. Detective G... Alaga Malai, uh, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering it, and we'll call him Detective G. And so he tells the detective that he has an important tip for him. Detective G, he's like, all right, he responds to the informant, and he eventually meets the informant in a hawker center, and he hears that a man has been killed. The tip goes like this. Three years ago, in 1984, Ayakano Marimutu, a 38-year-old caretaker at the POB Holiday Chalets in Changi, was murdered. He was chopped into pieces and then he was cooked into curry with rice. So initially, Detective G was really skeptical and honestly just kind of grossed out. His first instinct is actually to like chide to scold the informant. And I get it, it sounds almost like a sick joke. It's 1987. Nobody in Singapore had ever heard of anything even similar to this but the informant he sticks to his guns he's like this is legit there was a man he was murdered he was cooked with curry but at the end of the day detective g is a policeman and this is a tip so he brings this up to his bosses who are also pretty skeptical about it but again they're the police and this is their job so they do it Detective G, he does a bunch of digging and lo and behold, he finds a missing persons report for Ayakano filed on 18th December 1984, three years ago at Juchat Police Station. So it was filed by his wife, Ayakano's wife, Nagaratha Valley Ramia. So she's 32 years old and six years younger than Ayakano at that point of time. Now, I want to talk a little bit about his family. Ayakano had three kids with his wife, two sons and a daughter, so, so it's a pretty full family. They lived together in a small house behind Orchard Road Presbyterian Church, and the church described him as hardworking, but having a hot temper, but also as somebody who would apologize after he calmed down. We also don't really know much about their marriage, but from the newspaper articles, it sounds like, uh, I would say it kind of sucks, just, just in my opinion. According to the article, he was very violent, he was physically abusive to his wife, and he was often drunk. And so it just sounds like a very toxic environment, to be honest. Alright, so now we've heard about your family. Here's what's in the missing persons report. Allegedly, on 12 December 1984, 
Ayakano left for a trip to Genting Highlands in neighboring Malaysia to maybe gamble there. So the report was filed six days later when he didn't come back. Now, Detective G he finds this really sus for a couple of reasons. First, he didn't think that Ayakano had really the money to gamble. He had to borrow $600 from his employers to buy school books for his kids. So now a person who doesn't have $600 doesn't really have the cash to throw away at the casinos. But still, we don't really know much about him, but we can almost kind of believe it because gambling addictions are addictions if he did have one. Like, just just speculating. Now, the other thing is that he actually took leave from his employers on December 21st and December 22nd. So why wouldn't he just go then instead of going on the 12th and staying for so long? So that made the police a little bit sus on those two counts. Now, this is in January 1987 and the missing persons report, it's enough to substantiate the informant's claims a little bit. For the next three months, from January 1987 to March 1987, Detective G, he investigates. Now, I've heard this somewhere and I'm not sure if it's accurate for Singapore, but most murders are going to be committed by someone you know. It's not going to be some random serial killer. It's going to be someone you know. So, their leads include, you guessed it, family. And what do you know? One of Ayakano's brother-in-law just happens to be a mutton butcher, like he chops mutton, which the police find to be a little bit sus on top of the now growing pile of suspicions, now growing pile of susses, because then he would be skilled enough to, let's say, maybe not butcher mutton, maybe butcher something else, but it's all just suspicions at this point of time. In these three months, from January 1987 to March 1987, they also end up interviewing more than 30 people. There's a lot of people. And finally, on March 23rd, the police carry out raids at 2am. They raid a flat in Jurong East, the caretaker's home in Nadaravan Road in Changi, and the Orchard Road Presbyterian Church. So that's the church where the, where the family stayed in the caretaker's house. And by 9am on the same day, they've picked up 8 people. Here are the 8. Ayakano's wife, Nagaratha. 3 of her brothers, who are aged 28, 31, and 36. So like, they're kind of like, young but still a little bit older. They've picked up their wives, the 3 brothers' wives, and her 54-year-old mother, so Nagaratha's mom. So in this group of people, the oldest brother, the 36-year-old brother who's called Balakrishnan Ramia. He's the mutton butcher and the other two are both caretakers for buildings. After they've been picked up, they are really stoic. They either keep completely quiet or they just deny, deny, deny that they know anything about what the police are alleging. This is until 10pm on 25th March, so about two days after they've been picked up. This is where it gets really, really vague. So we don't know how the police get these details and we don't know if one of the family members spoke up or anything. I couldn't find any information about it. But like literally, the article from The Straits Times on 27th March 1987 and on page 11, if you want to look up for it, um, it says, Investigators established from a suspect. Quote unquote, yeah. Investigators established from a suspect, and that's all they say about it. 
So here's what allegedly happened. On 12th December, the same day that Ayakano was reported as having left to Genting Highlands, he was bludgeoned to death with an iron rod in the caretaker's quarters at the church where he lived at. After that, he was chopped into many small pieces and he was put into a large aluminium pot with chilli powder, spices and rice and they report it as being really, really similar to a biryani pot. Finally, after he'd been cooked up, his, his remains, including like skull fragments, bone fragments, they were packed into black plastic bags and thrown away into roadside bins. And let's say if you are just maybe somebody walking by the trash can, or like you're a sanitation worker, you might just think that, oh, somebody just had maybe a party and threw away a lot of leftover food. Um, so yeah, so this is what was supposed to have happened. So now I just want to digress a little bit. And I don't really know how to put this nicely, so I'll just come out and say it. This has to be one of the most gruesome, but also one of the most... I think clever ways to get rid of a body if it happened because sometimes you know you look at curry right and you don't really even know what the meat is until you bite into it because like the spices like turmeric they'll just cover everything they'll make the curry really opaque and it just looks kind of like lumps of stuff you know you don't know what's a vegetable you don't know what's the meat especially when the curry is very cow now so that's point one. The other thing, right, is that Indian curry, it has a really, really strong smell, like objectively, like I love it, which is a weird thing to say while covering this case, but Indian curry is like so smelly, like it has such a strong smell that there was literally another famous like kind of case about it 10 years ago. So small digression, this one was called the 2011 curry dispute, all right, and it was a massive cultural kind of thing so this family this chinese family that just recently migrated from china they were just so shook at the smell of curry cooking from their indian neighbors that they reported it to their cmc their community mediation center so the thing is that the indian family they already knew they already knew that the chinese family they didn't like the smell of curry so they already tried to be neighborly i guess and close all the windows and all the doors when cooking but the neighbors could still smell it that's how strong the smell can be depending on the curry cooked and i guess just in case you're interested in the end the mediation went like this the indian family can only cook curry when the chinese family wasn't at home and <laughs> the chinese family had to try the curry because maybe they just didn't like the smell or weren't used to the smell because they've never tried it before yes Okay, digression over. So that's just like a point to say, if you wanted to cover the smell of cooking or a decomposing body or just, just really smelly smells, not saying that anyone did it, but yeah, I would totally do it with curry. On 27th March 1987, the wife, her three brothers, they were charged with murder. Her mom and one of her sister-in-laws were charged with abetting the murder, so like helping out with the crime. The six of them, they were brought into court on 6 June, about three months after the initial charge, and the hearing took like 12 minutes. So the prosecution said that there wasn't enough evidence to go forth. 
there was no body, there was no murder weapon, they couldn't even find a cooking pot. And the district judge handling the case at that time, Judge Zainal Abidin, he gave them a discharge not amounting to an acquittal. So that means that they can be charged again. If they were acquitted, they can't be charged with the same crime again. And the DPP, the Deputy Public Prosecutor, was like, yeah, the police investigations will continue with the intention of future charges. But honestly, in my opinion, it's a bit hard. Because the case as it was, the police only got the tip three years after the alleged incident. So they couldn't pull up any evidence then. It would be even harder to pull up evidence as time went by, I feel. And so now this is still in 1987. But the three brothers, they were detained in Changi Prison from 22nd June 1987 under criminal law temporary provisions. So they applied for habeas corpus a number of times, which sounds very chim, right? What is habeas corpus? But I googled it and it basically means a writ or a court order of someone who is in prison so that the judge can decide whether or not they should stay in prison. Because, I mean, they were dismissed, right? Why are they still in prison? This is denied, the habeas corpus was denied a bunch of times until March 1991 where a legal challenge to their detention succeeded. So they were actually in prison for like 4 years just kind of waiting and they were unconditionally released on 21st June 1991. And since then there haven't been any actual updates on this case. So the last thing I've managed to find on this is that in 1995, Mediacorp, they actually made this TV series called Dr. Justice for Channel 8. It was like a 20-episode series. So this resulted in the TV show being covered by The Straits Times. And the six accused, right? I think they something like they tried to sue the newspaper for defamation. They say the way that it was reported, it placed the responsibility of the murder on them. But in the end, the court ruled in favour of The Straits Times, saying that the article was pretty factual. And so to this day, the case remains essentially unsolved. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Brief Case. So what do you think really happened? Can you really get rid of a body by cooking it into curry? Just DM me or drop me a comment at A Brief Case Podcast on Instagram. I really want to know. Also, what curry would you use? Alright guys, you can also find us online at abriefcasepodcast.com and do join us next week for another brief case.